This is the show that pulls back the industry curtain. We're exploring pop culture, music icons, and food gods. It's the Jeremiah Show, and he's your radio host. And now, back from a race around the sun, Jeremiah Higgins. It's the Jeremiah Show and Evolve Entertainment. Featuring It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Mike Gormley presents Music Icons, The Arwen Lewis Show, and The Angel Baby Show. Welcome to The Jeremiah Show. Good morning. My very special guest today is Scotty Barnhart, director of the iconic and world-famous Count Basie Orchestra. The Jeremiah Show and Candid Records are excited to announce the September 15th release of Basie Swings the Blues, the latest recording by the Count Basie Orchestra under the direction of Scotty Barnhart. This extraordinary record fuses the Count Basie Orchestra's signature style of sophisticated swing with the raw and soulful talents of the greatest blues and jazz artists of our times. It's featuring a stellar lineup of blues icons and contemporary stars, including Buddy Guy, Bobby Rush, Keb Moe, one of my favorites, Robert Cray, George Benson, Jamika Copeland, Lettucey, Mr. Sip, Lauren Mitchell, Betty Levette, and Charlie, Mus- Charlie Musselwhite. Produced by Scotty Barnhart, along with Grammy Award-winning producer John Burke, who did Ray Charles' Genius Loves Company, and Grammy-winning drummer and producer Steve Jordan, The Rolling Stones. This album takes listeners on a captivating journey through the heart and soul of American music and showcases a shared musical language that powerfully impacts the listener. And we're playing seven of the songs throughout the show today. So you're getting a sneak peek. This is a very... Very special show and, and such an honor to be able to play the music for you, hearing it here first. At the end of the show, we're going to play the new single, I'm a Woman, featuring Shamika Copeland, Buddy Guy, and Charlie Muscle White. It's out streaming now, so check it out. Uh, but, but don't go anywhere yet. You're going to hear it here, and we're going to talk to Scotty. Uh, Scotty is back on the show. Welcome back, Scotty. So good thank you, you. thank you, thank you, Jeremiah, for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've done it again. <laughs> Bravo! Oh, <thank laughs> Such a great album. Thank you. Man. I've been up. I got up at five a.m. this morning and just started like first cup of coffee. Yeah. Started, started playing the album, and I'm like, wow! Like <laughs> my hair standing straight up. I wasn't sure All if right. it was, uh, if it was good, the coffee good. or the music, but I think it was good, it was good. a little bit of both. Good, good, good. good. Mm-hmm. You've created a timeless musical experience that celebrates the essence of the blues in the context of the irresistibly electrifying, enduring swing of Basie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That's a quote mm -hmm. that I I really liked, and I agree with Mm -hmm. it completely. Mm -hmm. But before we talk about the new album, Basie Swings the Blues, which you're here to talk about, which is released again, reminding uh, listeners on September 15th, Mm -hmm. I was hoping you would take me back. And also the listeners, some mm-hmm. some very familiar with the Count Basie Orchestra, mm-hmm. um, maybe some new listeners that that don't know much about the Count Basie Orchestra or have never heard 
the Count Basie Orchestra. So if you could kind of maybe take us through, it's a long history, I know, and sure. that, that's a lot to ask of you, but if you could take us through some of the highlights from inception and then up, you know, to, to present day as you're with your history. Yeah, I, can, I can do that, absolutely. Well, the orchestra began in 1935, but before it began, Count Basie, he was a pianist. He was uh, born in Red Bank, New Jersey in 1904. And he began his career as a silent movie pianist, you know, back in the 20s when the movies didn't have any sound. The music was actually done live in the theater. The pianist or the organist would sit there and watch the movie and play and compose the music on the spot. So that's how Basie really began his career. And uh, then he, he joined the vaudeville group. But vaudeville, if the young, young people don't know that term, vaudeville is a show business term that means the group that you're listening to has a variety of accents. You know, they have comedy, they'll have a comedy act, they'll have a, mm-hmm. a singer, they have a band, they'll have a, you know, maybe a ventriloquist or something. So Basie joined this vaudeville act and they were on tour all over the, all over the states and they ended up in Oklahoma. And uh, so when he was in Oklahoma in his hotel room one night, he heard a band on the back of a flatbed truck going down the street, heard them playing and they were playing the blues. And they were playing it in such a way that he hadn't heard before. So he, he went outside to see who the band was, and they were Walter Page and the Blue Devils. Walter Page was a bass player, but he was playing tuba at that mm-hmm. time. So basically, fell in love with the band. He ended up you know, getting in touch with the guys, and they ended up inviting him to join the, one of the orchestras in that era, area, which is the Oklahoma area and the Kansas City area, called the Benny Moten Orchestra. Benny Moten was a pianist. So basically, joined his orchestra as second pianist and arranger and they did a bunch of recordings you know from 1930 or so to 1934 and then all of a sudden Benny Moten died and Basie was sort of the de facto leader anyway during his term in that band so when Benny Moten died it was a natural thing for Basie to take those same musicians and now it became the Count Basie Orchestra Mm -hmm. so that's how orchestra began 88 years ago and the thing that set them apart from other orchestras is that they had a way of playing the blues, stumping them and shouting them, but with a, with the a, um, a different beat to it. It was a, it was a more of a beat that really made you want to dance. You know, early jazz comes out of the military brass bands and all of that, and so that was a study kind of you know in your face kind of thing. Not really thinking about making people dance to it. Daisy took the opposite approach. He wanted people to be able to snap their fingers and pat their feet and that kind of thing. So he smoothed, yeah, he smoothed it out a bit. You was know? that controversial at that time? Uh, no, make, not really. Because, not, dan- real danceable? No, because it sounded so good. That's why it wasn't controversial. Anything that's new that sounds good, people don't really care. If it doesn't sound, if it didn't sound good, it probably would have been controversial then. But it sounded good, <laughs> so people wanted to dance. So the Basie Orchestra began its career really as uh, 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 on the path of becoming the most requested dance band and the most listened to and the most enjoyable band to dance to. You had other big bands too, you know, Ellington and Jimmy Lunsford and all these, you know, Fletcher Henderson and all these great bands, but Basie's band with the addition of the guitar in the rhythm section, bass, piano, drums, and guitar, the, the guitar is what set him apart. And even to this day, that is what defines our sound. It's the guitar, it's the mixture of the guitar in there. He's not too loud, but he's right in there. And that gives the, uh, the rhythm section an extra little bit of a lilt, you know? So anyway, Basie began to play. All the other musicians began, began to recognize that, okay, that's where we want to be. So he started attracting all these great musicians. Lester Young, one of the greatest center saxophone players ever. Uh, Billy Holiday was Basie's first vocalist. Then you had Helen Hymns, you know, all of these great musicians that began to uh, want to work with him. 
and then you had all the great vocalists beginning in the 50s that wanted to sing with them. Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Tony Bennett, everybody wanted to sing with Basie. And they, and they all did and recorded with them too. So the orchestra began to really um, um, make its way when it began to do international tours. The word got out in Europe and they did a command performance for the Queen of England. They did tours in, uh, in Europe and Sweden one time, I understand, when they got to the airport, they couldn't land a plane because there was too many fans on the runway. That's a true story. Wow. 1954, uh, yeah. Who and, would they uh, be comparable to? I, I love yeah, this. Story. Was like, yeah, man. It was, who, who would they be? It would be like, would it be like, uh, I don't know, who would, they, who would you compare them to today like that? I mean, oh, that, was, that sounds uh, like a beat, the Beatles, or yeah, I mean, it would be something like, like that. And for their for their time period, and, and and for a few for a little while, they were like that because a lot of the records were underground records, you know. And uh, the people in Europe got them. And the first international jazz festival was in 1948 in Nice, France. The orchestra didn't do that, but that put them on the map too. That kind of added because then more people wanted to find out, well, where are these other? Who are the other great bands? Who are the other? musicians we can get over here to Europe. And that's kind of how it be, they began to st uh, start traveling internationally. And then ev again, everybody wanted a band and they sounded like no one else. So they began to just refine and refine and refine. And the thing is that basically uh, what he did, that's still genius when you think about it to this day, he made the orchestra itself the star, not him. Mm. He didn't make it, he didn't make it to where if he didn't show up, it would just be over. You know, oh, Basie is not here. Look, cancel the gig. No, that's all we're still here. The orchestra became the star, meaning how did every he do that? But but he put the spotlight equally on all musicians. That's how you do that. So when you go to hear the orchestra play, even today, I make sure everybody is solo. Everyone, the drummer, the bass player, all thought force, five saxophones, trombones, trumpets. You know, we have enough time to do that. So the orchestra begins to uh, become the star itself, and that make that gives everybody a level of responsibility that they want to live up to. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Basie never had to worry about finding musicians. And that's why when people got there, they stayed until they died, basically, most of the times, you know. So then, you know, you, they started working with Frank Sinatra. That was more um, um, uh, of a high tier level of engagement in Vegas and all these places. And Jerry Lewis put the orchestra in his movie, uh, Cinderella, in 1959. He could have gotten any, when, when it came, Cinderella, by the way, if you haven't seen it, but for the listeners who haven't seen it, it's the male version of Cinderella starring Jerry Lewis. And you can look it's it up on my list. I've never, yeah. I can't believe I've never seen it, but it's on my oh, list. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta see this movie. So in the, the climactic, the main, the main scene of Cinderella or the main part of the movie is the dance scene. When Jerry Lewis gets to dance with the, with Cinderella. And, and when it got to that scene, he could have gotten any band on the planet earth. He could have gotten Ellington. He could have gotten, you know, Woody Herman. He could have gotten anybody, but no, he got basic because he knew that was the right orchestra to get. So that movie went to number one. So that also catapulted the band to a whole nother stratosphere as far as pay, as far as touring and all of that. They began to get booked by the Willard Alexander Agency. Willard Alexander was the major booker. So then they began to be on the road 300 days a year. And a couple other things that happened uh, when, uh, when, uh, when they went to the moon in 1969, uh, the first music that they played on the moon was the Count Basie Orchestra. Neil Armstrong had a recorder, a tape recorder in his oh, capsule right. when, when he touched down. He hit play, and when he hit play, it was the Count Basie Orchestra with Frank Sinatra singing Fly Me to the Moon. I so did the, not I'm, know that. That's yeah, so when I give lectures, that blows people's minds. When I give lectures on that, they're like, what? Yeah, but that happened. And uh, so they just began to do a lot of things that were really, really innovative. Like Basie is the one that invented the five-person saxophone section, what we call the split tenor saxophone section, with the tenors on either end, the altos in the middle, and the barry on the other end. Basie did that. And then uh, he added four trombones, 
and they began to just make, they began to refine the little particulars that makes a band good. Swing part of it. But again, even when Bebop came and Charlie Parker and Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and all those guys began to get, you know, come through with what they were doing. He didn't, uh, he didn't oppose that either. He said, well, we can, they, we can, we can add elements of that as long as the people can still feel the beat. So he was always concerned with people being able to dance. That's why I mean, even as a kid, when I first heard the band, I was like, oh man, that's sounds I'm a, Bob, Bob, I'm a little kid bobbing my head. That sounds good, you know. You, you were dancing? Did you dance, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to do that. So basically, was, uh, and then on top of that, he was a nice guy, you know. And uh, so everybody began to recognize that the Count Basie Orchestra was one that uh, they would make you feel good. They would make you, you know, you, they would always sound good. Uh, he was a nice guy. He always had a smile on his face. So when you go to hear the orchestra play, you just, you just feel better. You want to go hear them play. And every musician that ever went to that orchestra, Never had anything bad to say about him, ever, 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 well, ever, ever. You knew him, right? You knew the family really well. And well, I know the family now. I saw him live when I, before he died. Okay. I never met him personally. And uh, I came back close to meeting him. He was in this hotel room. I was in the lobby with the band uh, when I was a senior in high school. But uh, I know the family now. And uh, so it's just been a, uh, a, a joy learning about him and learning. You know, I got all of the basic records and stuff. And. And now when I meet people that knew him, it's all the same. He was a lovable guy. Everybody wanted to be around him. You know, the, the band played all of the presidential inaugural balls. He played every top tier thing you can think of, all in high society in New York. If you get the Basie Orchestra, then that elevated your whatever function you had to see the Count Basie Orchestra sitting there in tuxedos playing for you or you, whatever your function was. So, and again, we still do that whenever we can. And, uh, but that's a basic, History of the orchestra. And lastly, they've won. We've won more Grammy awards than any other orchestra. Nineteen. Oh wow! He basically played on a Grammy week, and he was the first African American to win a Grammy. Nineteen fifty-eight. I was yeah. going to mention that if you did, and because I, I thought yeah. that was just so cool. Yeah, now, yeah. Uh, first African American to get a Grammy award in nineteen fifty-eight, which you just said. Right. And then he went on to win nineteen. The orchestra has won nineteen. I'm I've won two with them, and uh, we hope to hope to keep winning some more. <laughs> oh, Scotty, that's so so great. Um, what? Uh, oh, I bet you think about this at some at certain points. But I bet you think, you know, what would he have thought of me, and how would he be proud of what you're doing with his no, band? I, I think so. I think so because I'm doing the same thing he did. I, I'm not doing. This is his orchestra. It's not mine. I'm just here for a minute, you know. So I'm trying to do the same things that he did. Play the same things that he played. And I tell the guys all the time, we have a responsibility to meet or exceed what they did when he was alive. With a, when we play a particular tune, how did they play it when he was alive? What did he do? We can't have any area where we're below the levels that he, that he, that he um, set. So that's always my job. That's what I'm thinking first and foremost. Okay, is this tempo right? Is this, are these dynamics right? Are, are, is it loose and fun? Are the guys having a good time? Is everybody happy on the stage? You know, so I think he would be happy. I think he could come in right now and sit right down at the piano and pick up as, as he never, as if he never left. You ever imagine him there or feel his, feel his presence? Oh, we can feel it. Man, I've, I, I can, it's some weird stuff that's happened, man. I, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I don't know what it is, what this universe is, but I know something. There's some things that we don't know. <laughs> we don't understand. And I, we've definitely felt it. I felt, felt it by it. myself. Is there, oh, yeah. Can you share that or no? <laughs> yeah, well, I well, I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one, one story that I can tell is that before I joined the orchestra, this is probably in the late eighties. I joined in ninety three, thirty years ago. This is my thirtieth anniversary this year. So, but before I joined, uh, as a matter of fact, I was living in the same apartment complex that I'm living in now. Not the same exact apartment, but the same complex that I'm living in now. I was in a different building, 
but I had this dream like three nights in a row or three times. And the dream was I was standing, I was playing a concert with a, with a band. The band was behind me. I couldn't see the band, but it was in my, uh, not my high school gymnasium, but our rival high school. You know, every, every school has a, like a rival school. Yes. And I remember what that gym looked like. And it was at the rival high school's gym. I was in the gym and I'm in, I'm playing a solo out front. I, I, I know I had on a gray suit, a white shirt and a red tie. I could see that. And I could see my family sitting down front and, you know, in the gymnasium with concerts, they pull the, they take the gold, the goals and bend them back up out of the way. So, you know, they're not in the way of the audience down there. Yeah. I remember seeing that the goals were bent back like that. And you had the audience down on two sides, my family down front, friends, I could see that, but I couldn't see the band behind me. I couldn't see it. But in the far back and on the far back wall, I'm looking right at the very back wall where the people come in, there was a big, huge oversized photo of Basie of his face. Just chin up, basically, to the right. Yeah. Black and white. Okay. Now, this is 1988, 89, something like that. Now, join the orchestra in 93. The next year, guess where we played? At my old rival high school. Rival high school? <laughs> in the gymnasium. Wow. Our, our uniforms were gray suit, white shirt, red tie. Frank Foster had written a ballad feature for me called What's New, you know, the ballad feature. And you have to walk down front and play the solos. So when he called What's New back in those, back when Foster's leading the band, like today, I'll write a set list out and print it out for the guys or email it to them so they can have it on their phone so they can get the music up. Foss, what he would do in the middle of one song, he'd, he'd mouth the next song. He'd say, what's new next? We'd be playing something and he'd just figure out, okay. So he said, what's new? So by the time we got to playing the next, that song, I knew I had to walk down front to get ready to play this. So as I'm walking down front, I'm not, again, I'm just walking down front to play the solo, man. I get down front and he counts the band off, start playing. And as we start playing, it hits me. The deja vu or whatever you call it, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Almost, it's, it's almost, almost, fell off, almost, almost fell off the stage. I was going to say, did you like it was exactly, like shake you, man. It was exactly how I looked in my dream. Exactly, man. every wow. detail was there. Every detail. So you, you saw it ahead of time. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, man. And uh, so, and that's just one instance. And as others, I just one. But that that one right there is uh, how do you explain that? You can't really explain that. So, I mean, down to the tie and the shirt and the and the suit color. That's incredible. And the locate and the location. <laughs> Everything, man. So anyway, I, that's why some things, some things you just can't understand as a human being, or what that means, or uh, anyway. But that's what happened. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm here. I guess I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> you, you are definitely supposed to be here, and we're so happy that you're here. Um, you've yeah. really done some, some really great things, and and Thank this you. new album. Well, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't wait. Oh, I almost can't wait to get to break. Although I love your stories just so the listeners can hear part of the album. <laughs> um, yeah. How many uh, directors would you call when people stepped in for Count Basie would director is the correct term, but yeah, you guys call them band leaders or what would he, directors, how would he leaders, directors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many have been, how many have come before you? Uh, well, okay, the first was Thad Jones. The first one was Thad Jones, and then uh, Frank Foster. Thad was there for two years, and he passed away. And then Thad, I mean, then Frank Foster. He was there for nine years. He's the one that hired me. And then Grover Mitchell was there for about eight years until he passed away. And then Bill Hughes, who was in the orchestra for fifty. I mean, he was in the orchestra total for fifty-seven years. Ten as director. Uh, he was there. And then Dennis McCrell, who was the drummer, he was there for about two two and a half years. 
and then myself. And you've been and director I, for 30 years. Uh, 10 years, 10 years this month. Well, 10 years next 10 month. Years. Okay. Yeah, September 30. But you've been in the, in the band for 30, 30 years. 30 years. Okay. 30 years. Mm-hmm. Count Basie uh, led the band, right, until 1984 when he That's passed right. away? For 50, for 50, exactly 50 years, yeah, 1935 to 1984, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're 50 years. Are you going to take it for, for 50 years? I, I'm going to be there as long as my health allows me, yeah, absolutely. I'll be there until I can't move anymore. I would love to do that. Absolutely. You're having fun. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, yep. I mean, it's, it's the greatest uh, thrill in the world. I mean, I, I was telling somebody not long ago, um, it's Christmas every day. I mean, you know, it's work, you know, I have to do the work and we have to, you have to uh, have the right people with you and all that kind of thing. But nothing beats when they introduce the orchestra, then they say my name. That is, I, I can't even tell you what that's like, because that, all of the all of the hard work kind of leads up to that but when you walk out on the stage now you're there for the people and now they've come to hear mr basie's product basically mm-hmm. and it's up to me to make sure that we do the right thing and we we do the right thing and oh, uh yeah. oh, and yeah. I, it's just uh it's a collective it's not me by myself it's a collective you got to have the right people who understand what basie was about we've had people that i've had to let go that didn't understand it and I don't like to fire anyone. I like to think that people fire themselves. Yeah. You know, I don't like to fire anyone. But I, I do know that the personnel is key. Got to have the right people. They got to have the right bass player who understands the note choices and, what, and how to walk to write a certain, a certain way. You got to understand the drummer. I mean, the drummer has to understand the drummer. You know, you got to have the right lead trumpet player, the right lead alto player, the right barry player. If you don't have the right people, it's not going to be bass anymore. So luckily, I understand that stuff. And I can tell you the history of every section, who was in it, and what they did, and how they did it, and how it affected the next people that came came after them. So it's a, the basic opus to the reason we're still here and sound the way we sound is because the people that are in each chair understood the people that were before them in that chair. That's really what it is. You know, Butch Miles, when he joined the band, he understood Harold Jones. He understood Sonny Payne, who understood Joe Jones. Mm-hmm. You no, know, the trumpet player, Frank Green, he understands Snooky Young. You know, Byron Steplin, the people, you know, he understands those people. So it's a matter of making sure the right people are there. And, uh, and, um, and I think as long as we have that, we'll be fine for a long time. Well, as they say, heavyweight is the crown, but, it, but you are, you know, you're the keeper mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. is the Count Basie Orchestra. So mm-hmm. you've got to, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have to make a lot of, you make tough choices from yeah. time to time, but really that's what you're there for, right? To yeah. really, to really, Keep it going and keep that culture, that that spirit, and that sound. And uh, yeah, I have to make tough choices. I had to make one recently, but you know what I do? I consult people. Uh, I toss the idea around. Uh, I think about it. I don't act hastily on anything. I have to take my time and uh, and really make sure it's the right thing to do. And um, and it's never personal. You know, it's mm-hmm. never, never personal. And the guys all they all understand that. So everybody that I've ever had to move on from, we're still cool. Not yeah. a problem. You know, and uh, yeah, here's what it is. Well, going back to before we take a break here, we got to take a break coming up here in about a minute. But before we do, you were talking about how Count Basie was such a um, a likable guy. Everybody liked him, and he mm-hmm. he loved what he did, and he and he really pushed, he took the spotlight and put it on everybody in the orchestra and, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. band and, and mm-hmm. um, gave them their, their due and their credit, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure creates 
a strong bond of loyalty and, and appreciation. Yeah. When is that? What do you think his secret to to being a a leader of that caliber with so many big stars through the years? You know, like you said, from Billy Holiday to Miles Davis to Frank Sinatra. What do you think his secret was to to being that likable guy and being? Was it just the love of the music? Believe, believe it or not, it's a very simple answer to that. He treated everybody as human beings first. Simple as that. He didn't treat them as musicians or, you know, people working for him. He treated them as human beings first. Like, good morning. How are you doing? How's the family doing? You know, you treat people like people, like people then you can get what you need to get from them. Simple as that. He even said that. He said, you know, you treat people like, you know, like they want to be treated and you make sure your band is happy, then whatever great sounds you're supposed to get, you'll get it. And that's exactly right. So for me, same thing. You know, I, you know, somebody has an issue with something or somebody, people, we're all human, so you, you can't get past that. That's why a lot of coaches don't have success. A lot of CEOs don't have success because they don't understand you have to treat people like human beings first and foremost. Then whatever <laughs> job they need to do for you or for your company or whatever or your team, then you, you can ask them to do that. You can coach them to do that. But the great coaches and the great leaders, they all understood that. They all understood how to, like Duke Ellington, he would write compositions for per, people individually. You know what kind of honor that is? Mm-hmm. If you write something for you, how much are you going to want to play for him? Right. You put your name on it. This is Cootie's concerto for Cootie, Cootie Williams. So that, 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 that automatically gives him a certain amount of loyalty uh, that's not forced. So basically, he sees them. Exactly right. He respects, they respect them, and you get that back. And it it really is, like you said, it's very simple. Isn't it? It's so simple what we can all do sometimes in life just to to get to a different level and get where we need together is just treat each other kind. Yeah, man. It's like, you know, on campus, you know, when I first started teaching in FSU, one of the things, you know, there's this uh, this great um, longstanding tradition, not just in FSU, but I'm just speaking in general at universities with classical musicians that they don't, you never find the students and the faculty hanging out, like having lunch or dinner together. You never, that, that, that there's a, there's always been a divide. This is just what I've seen personally, but in the jazz world, it's not like that. We don't have a generation gap, you know, in, in Basie's orchestra, whomever the newest guy is can go straight to his dressing room and talk to him. I'll call him up in his hotel room and say, would you have to like, you know, let's have lunch. Okay, no problem. If he's free, sure, you'll go do that. So one thing jazz teaches you is how to make sure you understand that human element. You know, there's, again, I, this is just something that I just, I'm trying to explain in a certain way to give people an understanding. Jazz musicians, you, we need each other. You know, you need one another. And so you need the leader. The leader needs the, the lowest person in his band. He needs that person. He needs to be able to make sure that person is happy just because they're the the newest or they're playing a fourth part or whatever it is, doesn't mean they're insignificant. And so Basie understood that no matter what part you're playing, I need that part. (laughs) I need you too. And I need to make sure that you're cool and you're happy with whatever's going on in your life. So when you get to work with us, come to work, you're good. You don't have to be worried about something. You know, if you needed an extra hundred bucks on your pay, you do that. I heard that a lot from a lot of stories I heard about him. If you found out a guy's family had a issue, he would quietly take care of it. Wouldn't say anything about it. Sinatra was the same way, you know, and so that's why people love Sinatra. He understood how to treat people as human beings, you know? So 
I just think the human element basically was blessed to come from a family that taught him that. You know, some people never learn it. You know, some people never understand that um, because, you know, because of circumstances, they could have been, I don't know, abused or left to be homeless or left or abandoned or whatever. But luckily, Basie came up and had a good mother and father uh, that gave him a foundation of understanding how to treat people well. And it served him well. And it still served him well. I mean, he died in 84, man. We're still going. That's, <laughs> That's 40 incredible. Years That's incredible. Incredible. And yeah. you're, you're dropping a new album here, September 15th. Let me tell everybody about it. The world's biggest blues icons join the Count Basie Orchestra for a very historic recording. The Count Basie Orchestra, directed by my very special guest today, Scotty Barnhart. The album is titled Basie Swings the Blues. The new album available September 15th, 2023 with Buddy Guy. Bobby Rush, Keb Moe, Robert Cray, George Benson, Shamika Copeland, Lettucey, Mr. Sip, Lauren Mitchell, Betty Levette, and Char- Charlie Musselwhite. And today we're premiering most of the album and the new single at the very end of the show in its entirety, I'm a Woman, which is featuring Shamika Copeland, Buddy Guy, and Charlie Musselwhite. It's also streaming right now. We'll be right back. And now, here is Stormy Monday by Betty Levette and the Count Basie Orchestra. excited about my new CD, Time to Love Again, and I hope I can catch you on tour this summer. But meanwhile, continue to enjoy The Jeremiah Show. Take good care, and I'll see you soon. Like to watch? Subscribe to The Jeremiah Show on YouTube. A broken heart, a 
time I once had a dream But now I have none You taking your love To see what it done Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. My very special guest today is, uh, I'm going to call him my good friend, Scotty Barnhart. He's the director of the Count Basie Orchestra, one of the most iconic and well-known bands and longest running history of, of a band. What what year was it? 1920? 35. 35. 35. Where did I get 20? I think that's maybe when he was in another band. Yeah, Count Basie. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, do the math for me scotty how many years now 88 88, 88 years yeah. um thanks my toes go, don't go up to that much yeah. <laughs> i'm counting my fingers and my toes that's that's incredible uh the, you got a new album out basie swings the blues it's out on september 15th where you just uh listen to it coming back from the break and going to the break and we're going to continue to play excerpts uh, from the album giving you a little sneak peek it, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun a lot of mm-hmm. talk about dance and uh every other emotion this this album <laughs> put you put you through it all right let's talk about the album a little bit all right so it, it, it was I'm, I'm sure you're gonna argue this but it it's been said it's your vision to merge the classic count basie mm-hmm. sound with authentic blues by bringing in the help of this all-star lineup that you brought in yeah. Just yeah. incredible lineup. Uh, I'll, I'll let you mention them again when you in, in here. But where'd you get the idea, Scotty? Well, in 2019, uh, Basie was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame yeah. uh, by the Blues Foundation in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, during their Blues Awards ceremony. So I had to go to Memphis and uh, you know accept the award. As a matter of fact, it's right behind me. Oh, no, here it is, right here, actually. On the, on the floor here. There it is. We gotta, we gotta get a, we gotta get that hung up. <laughs> yeah, man. I know. I had a little. I gotta put it on the wall back here. <laughs> what? A, you, your wall's too full. Everybody, check out. <laughs> I know, man. I check know. this interview I, out on YouTube. You'll see Scotty's in. I don't know. Is this your? Are you on campus there? This is where you. No, this is my office. I mean, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm at home. No, I'm at home. This is my piano. My my, my little my little my living room. My piano is in my di- my dining room area. Well, so this is which, dining room which, area now. Your piano is in your dining room area. Yeah, put the piano. <laughs> well, the dining room, they put the piano here. Yeah. We so what, you, what happened? priorities are? Oh, but, I, well, of course, got a piano. <laughs> so, the wall behind yeah, you is just cool. absolutely full of awards. So you got to yeah. check this out on uh, check out Scotty's dining room with his piano and his music sheets, and it just yeah. looks like a, a it's post, like a place. Poster, I, big, big poster, Basie, right there. You can see the big poster. Yeah. I got a little song song here. I got Miles. I got Duke. I got Bird. They can't really see those, but yeah. So this is just you know why I work on music and everything. Uh, who's, but who's the lady in the far in the yellow? Now, like- now the lady and the gentleman back there. They can see that. That's my late uncle and uh-huh. his my aunt. He was an artist. He painted those. Oh wow! So I'm, and that was done. He did those back in the fifties. I'm actually named after him. His name is William Terrell. But that's my aunt Grace and my uncle uh, William. Ha- handsome people. <laughs> yeah, he painted those. When he passed family. Away. I like that. Yeah. When he passed away, I inherited that. I he, he did about fifty paintings, so I think I have four or five in here, something uh, like that. I'll, I'll anyway, but in, in 2019, Basie was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame, so I had to go to Memphis, and um, I was you had to give a speech and all of that. But while I was there, they asked me if I would be a uh, presenter at the Blues Awards, which is like the Grammys for the blues, you know, side of things. So. At my table while I was sitting, they sat me right next to Bobby Rush. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a big round table with a bunch of people. It was me, Bobby Rush, and Morty Water's son. I can never remember his first name, man. It starts with a K. I can never remember his name. Anyway, while I'm there, it just dawned on me. I was like, man, I'm around all of these. This is what we need to record. This is who we need to record with. Because we, we, Basie's a blues-based orchestra. Yeah, yeah. Always been. Everybody knows that. But he had never done a, blue, a record based on the Delta blues or the sound of the early blues with the electric guitar. You know what I mean? He'd never done that. You would have thought it would have, somebody would have done that by now, but he hadn't done it. So that's kind of what the idea was. But the problem was there was no recorded precedent for it. No one had ever done what I was thinking about trying to do, so I couldn't go to iTunes or YouTube or find a recording to study and say, ah, oh, that's what we need to sound like. There was Isn't that there. better, though? Yeah, exactly. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you, create, yeah, you, you yeah. created it. Yeah, so I could kind of hear it in my mind. I could kind of hear it, you know, a little bit. And so this went on for about eight, nine months. I'm trying to figure out, man, what can, how can I, you know? And all of a sudden, uh, on the very day that COVID shut everything down, it was like March 20th of 2020, right around there, where everything finally just shut down, you know? That night, we had a concert we had to do, a private reception, actually a private wedding reception that we had to do that we almost canceled because nobody wanted to fly. As a matter of fact, six or seven of the guys refused to fly because they, you know, they didn't know what was happening with the germs and, you know, catching it and stuff. Right. But we, we didn't know anything. Nothing. All right. So we decided, the man, I'm part of our management team, we decided, well, we can't, we don't want to um, cancel the gig. And the only reason we didn't cancel is that the people that were getting married decided to cut the wedding party down from 80 to 20. So they eliminated 60 people to, to make it you know, small and more intimate. So we said, okay, well, if it won't be that many people, there are just 20 of them and 20 of us, we can, we, we can chance it. So we did it. We went, we went and uh, did the gig and everything at the, at the, at the wedding. And, uh, and so it was for a very, very, very successful businessman, very successful guy uh, at his house, 7,500 acre ranch, by the way. So we're there and, we, and the only thing they really wanted for the groom and the bride they wanted us to play uh, Sinatra's version, Quincy Jones's arrangement of Fly Me to the Moon, you know? Mm-hmm. They played on the moon. When they landed on the moon, they wanted to play that for the, wanted us to play that for, for the first dance. No problem. So we played that and they danced. And so when they finished dancing, the groom comes over to the stage and, and I go over and say, yeah, can I help you with something? He said, yeah. Do you mind if I sit in with the band? <laughs> so <laughs> any band leader tell you, when you somebody comes and says that, it means one or two things. Either they can't play at all, and they just want to show it in a drunk or something. They just want to show off in front of their friends, or they really know, you know they can play. So I said, well, I had to think real quick. I said, um, yeah, okay, because it's his house. You know, nobody's there. Nobody's going to put it on YouTube or nothing. I said, sure, no problem. So You hadn't, you hadn't cashed the check yet, so you're like, yeah, oh. that's what yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he said, boy, that's great, because I just bought a 1962 Gibson. Now, I did not know that's a $50,000 guitar. I, that should have gave me a clue right there. I didn't know what we were about to, what was about to happen. So he goes to get his guitar. I get the sound guy to come over so we can set him up so he can you know, be heard and all of that. So when he comes back, he has his tux on, has the guitar around his neck. He walks on the stage. And I said, well, what do you want to play? He said, well, how about some blues? I said, sure, that's fine. And I said, well, what key do you want? He said, it don't matter to me. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Something's about Because when somebody says it doesn't matter, that means he can play. Okay. He said, don't me. I said, okay. So I knew something was about to happen. I didn't know what, but I knew something was about to happen. And I'm still, again, I'm not even thinking about this blues thing. I'm, that's not even in my mind. I hadn't even, I hadn't yeah. even thought about it a week or two. So anyway, I count, I called the key of G and I count the blues off in a medium tempo, you know, just medium. And man, let me tell you something, Jeremiah, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. When he started to play the guitar, electric guitar, he sounded like every blues guitarist in history rolled into one. Wow. 
I never in my life heard anything like that up, up to that point. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I'm looking at this guy, man, he's a mid-60s guy, you know, clean cut, playing like, I'm like, what the, and so I'm listening, and then I realized it was just him in the rhythm section. I said, oh, I got to get the horns to play. So I told the horns, I said, saxophones, okay, go ahead and do a riff behind him. And the, the trumpets, you know, go start doing riffs. So then the saxes started doing a riff behind him, all five saxes, harmonized beautiful. But then the trump, trombones came in, they did a riff against the saxes. Then the trumpet's job is harder because now they got to do a riff against the bones of the saxes. So the trumpets came in, and when all of that stuff came together and was happening, I said, oh, shoot, this is what I've been hearing. This is it. Oh. This is what the record is. It finally, I finally had it. I finally heard it. That was the moment I knew, okay, I know, I know what I got to do. I know what we got to do. This is it. So that was the catalyst for it. That lightning bolt. It was a, it was a, a billion lightning bolts, man. I couldn't, I couldn't hardly sit still. And the people that were listening to it, they were screaming. He was just wet. And believe it or not, I have video of it too. He sent me a video later. I have, I have it on video. So I never, never erase that video. I never lose it. But that set the, the solid foundation of me understanding, okay, this is what's possible to do. And basically, again, it's really simple. We do what we do and they just do what they do and you just put the two together. That's why I do, that's why the record worked, works. And so what happened, then I, I got in touch with John Burke. I got in touch with the guy who, uh, Sam Beeler, who's our sponsor and uh, the, with the foundation that pays for everything. And the, and the gentleman who was the, um, the guitarist, he also was in on the initial meetings because he was going to help us with it, you know, do uh, help us to do it. Anyway, long story short, we got it done. We got the planning together. I, I went through about four or 500 songs. I started immersing myself in more books about the history of the blues. I even, and my girlfriend and I even flew to Mississippi, man, and to drive through the Mississippi Delta to try to find a photo to take for the cover. So some of those photos that are in the album artwork are ones that I took in Mississippi, you know? And uh, so we did a bunch, I did a bunch of research and then we started figuring out who would be the best guest artist. You know, and uh, I had to go through all the songs. I chose all of the songs. I had to figure out what songs would be best, how to balance it right. And then luckily for us, when I was at the Memphis thing uh, uh, to, to do the thing to get the award for Basie, the guitarist who was in the orchestra in Basie, when I first joined in 1993, he was a guy named Charlton Johnson. He was playing the role of Freddie Green, the acoustic guitar, you know. But when he left the orchestra a few years after that, in 96 or 97, he went on the road with Bobby Blue Bland. So he, he became a straight blues, you know? So he was another person that was very important. And I tossed some ideas back and forth. So I knew I was gonna have him involved. So to have another, to have Charlton on the recording, somebody that played acoustic guitar in the orchestra for 10 years, then to go to one of the top blues bands in the world with Bobby Blue Band for another 10 years or more, now these are, these are how you get the right people. So one of the things that I did for him is when I wanted to, well, I knew I, I wanted to write something, something uh, original for the recording. So it features him. It's called a Patton and Basie Shuffle. And my idea was, what would it have sounded like if the great early blues guitarist Charlie Patton had walked into a club or somewhere and Basie was playing and he sat in with the band? What would that sound like? So, the, so I wrote that around Charlton. And that's the only instrumental, one of the, uh, it's only one of two instrumentals on there, but it's the only original piece on the thing. So that's kind of how it started. And um, everybody that I yep. called, George Benson, I called up George. So yeah, of course I do it. I called up the guy, buddy guy. Yeah, I do it. Everybody be called, said, yeah. 
Well, so, let's talk about them when we come back in the second in the last yeah. break. But but I honestly, if you could see me with, with that story you just told, I was literally on the edge of my seat. <laughs> and have you told yeah, have you told yeah. this guy? For, there's two things that I, that struck me about that story. Number mm-hmm. one, that you uh, there was the ghost in a way of Count Basie right there, right? You mm-hmm. let him sit in, and you yeah. were like, uh, but all right. You know, come on. No, I had had no no idea. idea. No idea. And what happened? What came out of it? Look at this this great new album. Like, you never know. Doesn't isn't it strange how life is? You say no to something, and you could if you said you never know what might have happened. But you said yes, and you've got. Did you let this guy? Did you let him know that he inspired? I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah, I did. I I mentioned it in the liner notes. So when he sees the And I'm gonna send a copy. He'll know. I, I put, uh, him, I put his name there. I put his name there and everything. I had to thank him because if it had not been for him doing that for that situation right there, you know, who knows? It might not have ever happened or could have happened uh, at a later date. But it happened exactly how it was supposed to happen. That was a cool story. Scotty Barnhart's my special guest. He's the director of the Count Basie Orchestra. Where you're listening to their new album throughout the show here. The interview today. This is we're having a lot of fun. It's uh, he's brought in the world's biggest blues icons, and I'm not uh, we're not understating that at all. They join the Count Basie Orchestra for an amazing historic recording. Basie swings the blues. You gotta, I don't know if you can pre save it, pre order it, but do it now so you don't forget. Basie swings the blues. Uh, you're gonna have a rock of just a, a great fall going into mm-hmm. september with this new album it's available september 15th it has buddy guy bobby rush keb mo robert cray george benson shamika copeland lettucey mr sip lauren mitchell betty mm-hmm. levette and charlie Musselwhite. Mm-hmm. at the end uh coming up here actually in about one more break we've got i'm a woman featuring shamika copeland buddy guy and charlie Musselwhite. it's streaming right now and do not go anywhere we will be right back with more with Scotty Barnhart and the Count Basie Orchestra. And now here's Evil Gal Blues. Let us see. Hello. 
Hello, this is Scotty Barnhart, director of the legendary Count Basie Orchestra, and I understand there might be a new Birdland West in Santa Barbara. And let me tell you, if it is, we can't wait to play it. And I think every jazz musician on this planet would be really, 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 really smart to play this club too. So whenever they make that happen, we will be looking forward to it, and we'll have to be there for at least a week. Got to play five, six, seven days. You know, I'm just saying. But anyway, and it'll go in well with our new release of Live at Birdland that we made uh, in 2020. So we are looking forward to Birdland in Santa Barbara being open very, very soon. And, uh, and again, you're listening to The Jeremiah Show. Keep up, will ya? There is a lot going on here. Subscribe and always be in the no crowd. in the dark welcome back to the jeremiah show my very special guest today is scotty barnhart director of the iconic count basie orchestra they've got a new album out it's called basie swings the blues we're talking about it on the show now there's some great artists uh blues artists iconic just your favorite blues artists who join the count basie orchestra um let's talk about god there are so many so many uh questions the recording celebrates the deep-rooted connection that there is between jazz and blues mm-hmm. and i don't know if a lot of people know that can you explain that connection yeah well well when the music began and the you know from the if you want to go way back to the field hollers and the spirituals you know sung by the slaves all the way up through the military bands the early military music and the new orleans brass bands and uh and the blues was always there it was always there from the inception. Now jazz, the way that we know it today, after the advent of ragtime, uh, which was around the high, the heyday of ragtime was 1895 to about 1910 or so, something like that. After that, the, the music began to get much more sophisticated and it kind of turned into the early jazz when you started getting around Louis Armstrong in the 20s and King Oliver. Uh, Fletcher Henderson's and so when the music really began to get more sophisticated it never left it never uh, uh, discarded that blues element of and Louis Armstrong is a prime example of that if you listen to the music of Louis Armstrong with his hot fives and hot sevens in mm-hmm. that period of time he was one of the first ones to really show that although the music was coming very sophisticated that you never lost sight of the blues and he's also in the work of Fletcher Henderson and early early other you know, other uh, musicians like Jello Roll Morton but jazz and blues have always been together, basically. It's always been that underlying element. Matter of fact, when I began to learn the music and study and all of that, 
you know, uh, as I was coming up, I was I would always hear the older guys say, "Don't forget the blues, don't don't forget the blues." Or you can play all of this fancy cerebral stuff if you want. That's fine, but don't forget the blues, and don't forget to play for the people to try to make them dance. Those are the two things I always remember that I heard. And now that I've been playing this music for a long time, I always I understand that the blues. I grew up listening to it, even in church, man. When you hear some, you listen to gospel music. That's basically the blues. When I first heard Count Basie. I said to myself, oh man, that's the same thing I hear in church every Sunday. So gospel music, the blues, the spirituals, it's all connected. Jazz has all of that in it. It has everything in it. So uh, this is why it was so important when we did this recording to kind of go back and just show that those musicians who were playing this Delta blues music, this really early music that still sounds the same from its inception and with Charlie Patton to the day, sounds the same. Put that on top of what we're doing, it's, it's, a, it's like a new marriage again. You know, it's like a new a way of just stirring the pot, so to speak. Because yeah. you got the, you got the sophistication of five saxophones and four trombones and four trombones. You got that sophisticated harmony, and you got the gut bucket sound of the blues with the guitarist who's just you know weaving in and out of that, taking some of the sophistication. He's taking some of the gut bucket, and this is what blues musicians do. They do all of it, and jazz musicians do it as well, just from different angles. So now you got the jazz musicians here and the blues guys here. Now we're just putting them right back together, right on top of each other, underneath, on top, underneath, and just weaving in and out. This is how I knew the recording needed to be. We needed to have the musicians. Yeah, everybody needed to be able to play how they normally play. We didn't change anything about how, as far as how we play. Okay, now we got these blues cats here. We got to do this. No, man. We played exactly how we play. They played exactly how they play. And I knew it would work. I knew it would work, and it was it was the most easiest recording session I've ever been a part of. Everything was done in one or two takes at the most. We did we did twelve songs in two days. You got rock bands, man. It take two years to do six songs. You know, you were, we did. You guys were feeling it. You were feeling it. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. And it was it was like a big party, man. And so I well, knew it could happen if we got had the framework right. Yeah. I can't wait till everybody gets to hear it, but I, you, they've had a little sneak peek, a little teaser out throughout the show here. Okay. I got to I got to take a break again, and then we're going to come back and, and just say goodbye, Scotty, um, right. and play the the new "I'm a Woman" uh, okay. single for everybody here. But I have a question though. I was watching this movie the other night, and they started talking about the Hawthorne effect, you know, in physics, which okay. is basically a form of reactivity in which subjects modify an aspect of their behavior mm-hmm. in response to their knowing that they are being studied. Oh, I see. And then it, it made me think of the orchestra, your orchestra, mm-hmm. the Count Basie orchestra. I thought, mm-hmm. do you think this applies to music that when we observe or we appreciate it, it changes in some way? Well, I would say that I would say it does that when, when for example, if we did, a rec- if we do a recording in a studio, and nobody's there but the band and the engineers, it'll sound a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, without the musicians even really thinking about it, it just will sound a certain way. But if we do the same recording, same engineers, but now add 50 people, it's going to sound different. Yeah. Because that extra energy goes into us. That's the difference. So I guess in a way, that, that's the best way I can explain it. It yeah, does no, make it make sense. I, yeah. I was interested in your answer, and then I, I, I'm like, yeah. i got to ask you, because... You, yeah. you probably more than anybody has seen this with the, the size of the orchestra, the, 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 two, the, the places that you've toured around the world, the different audiences, the way the music, yeah. music yeah. is just such magic. Well, thank you for yeah. 
that answer. We'll be right back. We're with the, uh, Scotty Barnhart. He's director of the Count Basie Orchestra. The new album's Basie Swings of the Blues. We'll be right back. And now, here's Just for a Thrill. seven every time by advertising on the jeremiah show and get your message out on seven shows we're always on the radio Back in with rock candy welcome back to the jeremiah show my uh my friend and very special guest scotty barnhart he's the director of the count basie orchestra we just had a great time together if you're just tuning in you got to go back and listen to this on the podcast or on youtube um really great stories about his time with the count basie orchestra and the new album which is 
Basie Swings the Blues. It's got the world's biggest blues icons, and they join the Count Basie Orchestra for this just incredible historic recording. Um, it's out on September 15th. And I'll let you tell uh, final words, my friend Scotty. Uh, thank you so much for the spending the time with us and and um, and this new album and your music that you put out. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jeremiah. I really appreciate it. On behalf of the musicians, we say thank you. And on behalf of Count Basie, I say thank you. But this recording uh, is a really important recording. It's a, like you mentioned, a historic recording, but it's a great recording. It's a fun recording. And uh, I'm glad we were able to bring these two different, well, these two connected genres together in jazz and blues. And I'd like to thank our special guests, George Benson, mm-hmm. Buddy Guy, uh, Bobby Rush, Keb Moe, Charlie Musselwright, Robert Cray, uh, Shamika Copeland, Lattice, Carmen Bradford, Lauren Mitchell, uh, Castro Coleman, Mr. Sip, the Mississippi Blues Child, Jamie Davis, Charlton Johnson, Bobby Floyd. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful recording. Hope I don't leave anyone out. And also I'd like to thank uh, the gentleman that made it all possible, Mr. Sam Beeler and Gregorico of the Unity Music Foundation, who's funding, funded our recording. John Burke of Candy Records for our, our, a great record label, uh, who also co-produced it with me, and a great drummer, Steve Jordan of the Rolling Stones, who also is my co-producer. And everybody just that worked hard very uh, together. Uh, Steve Jenowick, the engineer, uh, uh, Paul Blakemore, the mastering engineer, and just everyone involved with the project to present it to the world, because I think it's, uh, it's gonna set a new precedent in what's possible in terms of collaboration. And to me, that's what it's all about. It's about collaboration. It's not about competition. It's about collaboration. And I think uh, hopefully we'll be able to play this music around the world with some of these special guests. And we can figure out how to do that somehow. Go on tour at some big act or something and just bring this to the world because everybody needs to hear it. It's a wonderful recording and I'm just glad that we can make it happen. Uh, Thank you so much, Scotty. Scotty Barnhart, Count Basie Orchestra. And here it is featuring Shamika Copeland, Buddy Guy, and Charlie Musselwhite. I'm a woman. And don't forget to uh, pre-order and save Basie Swings the Blues, the new album, available September 15th. Thank you so much, Scotty. Um, Collaborate. Be kind to each other. Treat each other like humans and look at what can happen. It's Mm -hmm. uh, just amazing. Communicate, but listen more and evolve. Everybody have a great day. And here's the world premiere on The Jeremiah Show of I'm a Woman. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right. Oh, yeah. When I was a little girl, only 12 years old. Say my doggone soul My mama told me The day I was grown She said sing the blues child Sing it from now on I'm a woman Oh yeah I'm a woman I'm a ball of fire 
love to a crocodile I'm a woman I can sing the blues I'm a woman Change old and new Scotty Barnhart, director of the Count Basie Orchestra, and our new album is Smoking. It is called Basie Swings the Blues, with some of the most incredible blues artists in the world on it with us. George Benson, Buddy Guy, 
Charlie Musselwhite, Kev Moe, Robert Craig, Lauren Mitchell, Mr. Sip, the Mississippi Blues Child, Carmen Bradford. It is unbelievable. So get that, and you are definitely listening to The Jeremiah Show. Hi, this is comedian Maz Jobrani, and you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. Listen, man. Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. My name's Danny Trejo. Jeremiah, your love, Holmes. You're so cool. You're so cool. You're so cool. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.